Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Madrid Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss my weekly pick, which where each and every week I, rec- I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, sometimes a special. This week, a podcast series that I will recommend for you guys each and, each and every week that I particularly enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy yourself. We can also discuss Pete Davidson addressing the Kanye West beef in a stand-up set for the Netflix is a Joke Festival that Netflix is a Joke YouTube channel put out on their own. We can also discuss... Brendan Schaub potentially threatening to blackmail Bobby Lee and Bobby Lee's overall response to it on the H3 podcast that occurred last Friday. We can discuss that as well and just my overall thoughts and opinions on that and why I believe the comedy community in general really isn't talking about it in a way that I think is adequate enough uh, to really discuss. So we can discuss that for the Bobby Lee, Brendan Schaub thing. We can also discuss, in terms of news within the tennis world, Sasha Zverev complaining about the lack of rest between matches and his overall press conference that happened and transpired yesterday after that win, after that loss, <laughs> win, <laughs> uh, loss to Carlos Alcaraz in straight sets. So we can discuss that as well. But where we'll start off today will be Alcaraz versus Zverev at the Madrid Open final. I discussed this yesterday in my podcast clips video. But I think it bears repeating and begs repeating to be discussed again for today. Uh, Alcross faced Sasha Zverev for the Major Open final. And heading into this match, um, Sasha Zverev was untouchable at the Major Open. I mean, he was 8-1 against top 10 opponents. He won the Major Open final last year as well, beating Matteo Berrettini in three sets. He was able to face off a lot of well-known individuals last year clay season last Madrid Open and won in straight set fashion and this year it looked like he was going to win again like it really was I said he was a dark horse of mine which he was the number two seed like why did I say he was a dark horse but I still believe that he had the best chance of winning and uh, that was not the cards for him that was not in the cards for him and uh, it really I got egg, egg on my face because of it uh, so let's just get right into the match here. Obviously, just to give you a little bit of a backstory as to how Zverev was able to reach the final, he had wins over Tsitsipas, FAA, Musetti, and Cilic. Alcaraz had wins over Djokovic, Nadal, Norin, Basilashvili. So overall, Alcaraz is able to beat Zverev 6-3, 6-1. And again, as I discussed in my podcast this video, the reason as to why he beat Zverev was just because he was so dynamic at the baseline. And was able to beat him in terms of not only holding serve, but also uh, returning serve as well in terms of Zverev's second serve, which was very, very sad to see and sad to witness at the latter half of that second set. So let's get right into that first set, shall we? Uh, both played well early on. You know, They both held serve for the first five games of that set, uh, but it was over as soon as Alcross got the break. As soon as Alcross got the break, the match was over. So... They both played to their strengths. Obviously, I'll give Zverev his credit. You know, he he did well for the time being. You know, he had great first serves. He was able to get the, get to the net. And even though there were times where it was shaky and flimsy at times, I mean, obviously, he had that overhead smash that just was dead in the net. Uh, that's one of the times where he didn't do that well in, in the beginning of that first set. But overall, Zverev had a pretty commendable game in terms of holding serve. Again, you know, when you'd mentioned... Zverev, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how great he is after his first serve. His first serves are dynamic. His first serves are something to see. You know, when you th- when you think of the aces that he's able to generate, when you think of the power he's able to generate, when you think of the direction of his serves, whether it's to the body, whether it's uh, wide, the ability for him to have great first serves cannot be mistaken, cannot be unnoticed. So Zverev was really good on the on the, hold, on the holds, uh, but it started to fall off. Again, when I when he got that break, when Alcross got that break, there was a nice rally between the two. But Alcross gets point as Zverev ground show goes wide, love fifteen two serving three, and that was something that I, I noticed. As soon as like Zverev really had a hard time at the baseline in, in trying to maintain himself within the baseline, and when you see those early cracks, it's hard to really not discuss it. And, and obviously, you know, that's not one of the first, that won't be one of the only times where Zara's ground strokes would be an unforced error. 
Uh, drop shot for him, passing shot by Alcross, makes it love 32 serving three, zero hours serving. So again, drop shots are Alcross's specialty. And when you think of him at the baseline, you know, the fact that he's able to whip out a drop shot at, in the middle of an intense rally or have a great angle shot, you know, where Zverev or any other opponent can't really get it is something that Zverev is so comfortable at doing. So, again, great, great drop shot for him by him. Uh, cro- great forehand cross-court clean winner by Alcross to make it love 40. Uh, Zverev not able to put it away at the net as Alcross breaks first to make it 4-2. Alcross holds, makes a 5-2 as Alcross angle shot followed by Zero backhand goes wide. Zwerve so love holds to 5-3. Uh, and that would be like where the buck would stop there. Uh, great drop shot by Alcross during intense rally to make it 30 love, 5-3. Alcross gets the set as Zverev return service dead in the net. So as soon as he get, got that break, it was basically game over for for Alcross, for, for Zverev. And again, Alcross, you have to give him his... You gotta, I mean, everybody's giving his credit. You know, he's going to be one of the future goats of this sport if he's able to continue this progression continue this momentum that he's on but that first set really showed you the highlights of Alcaraz right when you think of his matches against Nadal and Djokovic there were times in the match where he wasn't playing to the best of his ability there were times where he was just outmatched and outperformed and out and mentally thought out and, and mentally wrung out but against Zverev he played to the to all of his strong suits, whether it was his serves, whether it was his baseline, whether it was his drop shots, whether it was his ability to detect serves and understanding how to process and internalize Zverev's first serve and second serve respectively. That was more so in that second set than in the first set. But still, it shows you that Alcaraz is able to call an audible and make the proper adjustments to fend off his opponent's strengths. And I think that first set gave you a good indication as to how he was able to sort of maneuver in that second set. And that second set, I'll, I'll cover it again. It was all, all cross. I mean, he could have easily bageled him if it wasn't, if he was, if Zverev wasn't able to hold. But again, all cross was just diabolical at the baseline. And it was very sinister. The fact that he was able to just. Again, outmaneuvered him, mentally went over him, physically beat him physically, beat him mentally, you know, beat him in every facet of the game. I don't think we've ever seen Alcaraz do that on final Sunday ever. And obviously he's new to the, he's new to the final Sunday atmosphere. So this won't be the last time that he does this, but I think this is the first time we've seen him mentally ruin an opponent and physically ruin an opponent. And I think that's going to be something that would be normalized to be seeing in the next few months to come. So Zverev holds as he, would, as he was able to control the pace and play with Alcross. Ground stroke goes wide. One love. Great passing shot by Alcross deep in the rally to make it love 31 all. Alcross drop shot allows him to get the break 2-1. And again, it was right then and there. It was basically game over. He actually could hear the announcers be like, all right, so when's the next tournament for Alcross and Zverev? And... <laughs> Uh, and then that was a, they ruled they ruled the credits early on in this match. Uh, forehand down the line by Alcross makes a 15 love. Alcross holds as Zverev returns serve skims the net and goes wide 3 1. Overhead smash by Zverev fails to get over the net 40 30. Zverev serving. Uh, drive volley is also to the net to make it advantage. Alcross 1 3. Again, so back to back points where Zverev goes to the net and then fails to get a winner and fails to end the point there. And that's something that you got to, I feel like if you're on Zverev's team, you got to just focus on making sure that Zverev is comfortable at the net. He's 6'5", he's 6'6". He has the lankiness to get to the net and to, you know, physically outperform his opponent. So to see him mess up like this on overhead smashes, on dry volleys, it's something that he needs to adjust. Otherwise, you're going to see similar results to this against Alcross and against opponents like him for the next few matches to come, for the next few months to come. And I feel like if you're on his team, you got to change it. So overhead smash followed by a dry volley by Zverev. Both are dead in the net. Both fail to go over. Drop shot lob by a uh, combo by Alcross gets in the double break to make a 4-1. And that was just a beautiful thing to see. When you saw him hit the drop shot, Zverev gets to the net. And then when you see him do a lob, it was like, okay, he, he's just toying with him at this point. He's just manhandling him at this point. And I, I don't want to give Zverev his credit. You know, I do. He's a very good player. But he was manhandling him, especially in that second set. And that's 
that should go that shouldn't be unnoticed so drop shot volley uh flop combo by alcross makes it 4-1 alcross love holds 5-1 and then you got to give Zverev his credit. I'll give Zverev his credit. He came back from love 40 to deuce on the deciding game of that set. But again, two straight double faults. He ends the game on two straight double faults. Now we know that his second serve is not that great. It's, it hasn't been that great during this tournament run. But still, two straight double faults in the match. The final ends on a double fault. I mean, talk about anticlimactic. That is not a surefire way to end a match. I mean, honestly, like the fact that he was able to lose on a double fault, that is kind of sad. Uh, but anyways, Alcraz has beat Sasha Zverev and is now your 2022 and my 2022 Madrid Open champion. I'm excited to see what's next for him at Rome. I think he's playing performing at Rome as well. So I'm excited to see him perform. I'm excited to see him do well. Uh, I think he's projected to win. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm dealing with a bit of a cough, so my apologies. <coughs> Hopefully the microphone didn't catch that. Uh, but yes, uh, Zverev, I mean, what what's there to say about Zverev, right? Like, when you think of Sasha Zverev, you think of a man that usually does well at these tournaments. I mean, I mentioned earlier he was in one heading into this match against top 10 opponents. He had great wins against Nadal in both the 2021 and 2022 Madrid, Madrid Open. I mean... I mean, no, not 2022 Madrid Open. Last year, he had a great one against Nadal. Uh, and a great one against Berrettini as well. I mean, that Zvera-Berrettini match, I think that was a very underrated match. I think that was one of the one of the more forgotten matches of that year. So go watch it if you haven't already. But, I mean, when you think of Zvera, I mean, this is his favorite tournament. Like, he stated outright, point blank, that this is his favorite tournament. And to see him lose, I, I think... It shows you just how how capable and how much potential Alcaraz has, but also how there is a discrepancy and disparity, or not disparity, but there is a huge gap between Alcaraz and that of the current generation, right? And I and I know people like to say Zverev and Tsitsipas are the next generation. They're 23 and 24. Like at this point, they are the current generation. So I feel like Alcaraz is miles above that than Tsitsipas and Zverev. And honestly, I think you can make the case that he's above Medvedev as well. And I wouldn't put it past you if you say he's above Medvedev. Uh, right now, I think Medvedev still has that major. Uh, so I think right now you kind of have to put Medvedev above Alcross. But I think in terms of the long game, I think Alcross can easily beat and outperform Medvedev in terms of majors one, in terms of his ability to win on court. So uh, right now, I think Alcross is scheduled to win Rome. And I think... He'll do well at the French Open as well. Uh, I really do. I, I think I don't think he'll win a major. I don't think he'll win the French Open. I don't. I think as long as Nadal and Djokovic are there, they're, they're bound to win. But I think right now, Alcaraz has the best chance of winning Rome. And I'm excited to see him perform. I'm excited to cover the Italian Open. And I'm more and above all else, I just want to see matches like this happen again. Like the Madrid Open was a pretty good ATP 1000 tournament. Like, let's be honest here. Like, this is one of the better tournaments of this past year. And I I really thoroughly enjoyed a lot of the matches that happened. Like, when you think of whether it's Nadal Alcaraz or Djokovic Alcaraz or, or um, you know, Hercatch Jok- uh, Joker, you know, even Zverev Sitsipas, these matches have been pretty interesting to watch. And uh, hopefully we're able to see these type of matches at the Italian Open. You know, so... If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this, you know, leave me leave them down below. I'll do my best to respond to each and every one of them. Do you think Alcaraz will win the Italian Open? Do you think he'll run into Djokovic and Nadal? Do you think Nadal and Djokovic, do you think their level of expertise and their experience at these tournaments will have an effect in terms of their match and playing style against Alcaraz? Do you think Alcaraz will be able to sort of finagle his way into beating Nadal and Djokovic? I want to hear all your answers to those questions down below. I'll try and respond to each and every one of them. I think it's very important and really very important and very key to really understanding how Alcaraz is able to beat these opponents. And I think getting down to it is is very important. And I think having that discussion early on it out is something that will be a precursor to what we'll, what we'll be seeing in the future. So I'm excited for that. I really am. All right, let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here, shall we? 
So I mentioned Zverev complaining about the lack of about the lack of rust between matches, and overall, I, I think he is right. I mean, I'm just getting this from Ben Rothenberg from the New York Times. Uh, so there was like a transcript between the question and uh, Zverev's answer. So let, let's pull it up right now. We'll see where this goes. Uh, so the moderator, moderator says, questions, please. Question, he, he plays so well, but usually Madrid, you're the champion. Give me an explanation because the way Carlos played was too much. Your serve was not so good. So it was basically an antagonistic question. Listen, I get it. People don't like Zvera, but to be like, your serve was not that great, right? Tell me about it. First off, I admire the balls. That's that's great balls. The fact that he just says, hey, your serve was horrible. Uh, but I feel like he could have peppered that joke a little bit better. Uh, but anyways, the question, the questionnaire, the questioner asked, the journalist asked that. Uh, Alexander Zverev says, no, he plays, he's playing amazing. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He's playing amazing. But one thing I have to say is that the ATP's draw was an absolute disgrace this week. Two days ago, I went to bed at 4, 4.30 a.m. Yesterday, I went to bed at like 5.20 a.m. You know, if any normal person goes to bed one night at 4 a.m., the next night at 5, 5, uh, 5 a.m., it'll be a tough time just to be awake for them. And for me to play a final against Carlos Alcross, who for me is the best player in the world right now, in a Masters 1000 event, the next day it is difficult. Today on court, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, now I'm a little bit angry. I would say because I had no coordination today. I had no coordination on my serve. I had no coordination on my ground strokes. We can tell. Uh... I missed two overheads that were super easy because I see the ball and everything is moving in my eyes. I don't want to take anything away, and today, obviously, even if I'm fresh, probably I would not be Carlos, but definitely would be a better match. At the end of the day, I think all of us have played up late. All of us maybe party sometimes, but if you're staying up until 4 a.m. the next day, you are dead. I play the next day. If you're doing it again the next day until 5 a.m., you'll have a difficult time to be even awake. I don't want to take anything away. Uh, he's a great player. He's the best in the world right now. But to be honest, I feel sad for the final that we play because this could have been a very good match. This could have been a great match. All right, so obviously I sort of elaborated on this and really gave you the whole entirety of what was said. And I think it's very, very important for that to happen uh, because I do think Zverev has a point here, right? And I know people like to uh, dismiss Zverev's points and complaints. I get it, you know, seeing what he did at Acapulco, seeing what he did to his ex uh, not to mention things outside of tennis, but read up on what his ex said about him. Uh, it's kind of sad to see. Uh, but, you know, when you th- hear all those uh, stories, when you hear uh, Zverev and, and, you know, the constant, you know, nagging on tennis umpires, chair umpires and whatnot, and you, when you see his on-the-court antics, you know, people are quick to dismiss his criti- critiques. And I get all that. I understand where they're coming from. But I think in this regard, in this instance, he does have a point, right? I mean, again, that Sitsipas zero match lasted for quite some time. Not as long as, say, the Djokovic Alcross match. But to see him play three straight matches and three straight days and to see him to see it all culminate into a match that was rather lackluster it gives you the imprint and the notion that i think these atp 1000 organizers should do a better job at sort of spacing out these matches i mean look no further than than the wta right like the the jabour match like the the way that they scheduled the wta for the, the madrid open i mean that was quite sad like honestly like it was honestly like i felt like very disrespected when i saw that like if i was like playing for the wta and i saw the scheduling for the for the wta and if i was a player deciding to like play in that tournament i would feel very like disrespected by the way that that scheduling was because that should not have been happening to the wta side and that was more or less what we would see from the atb side where we would just have a like match after match after match with no rest any at all whatsoever between any of these matches that would last for like two or three hours long it's like at the end of the day you got to space it out you know more and 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 you have to allow individuals to just focus on their on their well-being for some time you know again like the major open really comes after a few tournaments that even though they're smaller i mean most of these players still compete in these tournaments i mean let's let's be honest about it 
And, you know, when you think of the Italian Open coming up, and even though it's a ATP 1000 event, it's happening in the span of like six, seven days. I mean, the entire tournament just lasts for that long. So, you know, how can you get mad at players when they're not playing to their best potential when they're playing each and every day, two, three hours long matches? I mean, I mean, for me, like, I know it's easy to like neg on Zverev. I get it. But you kind of have to feel for him, right? And I know I just negged on Zara for like a good 10 minutes with that discussion about the final. But at, at the end of the day, I do kind of feel sympathetic to him, right? Like, I mean, who hasn't felt tired after like doing a job for a certain amount of time? Like at some point you need to focus on your body, focus on your well-being, focus on your rest. And I feel like if the Madrid Open sort of scheduled it on a day after what was scheduled to be played on Sunday... I think it would have been a better case for Zverev. And I, I think it would have been a more interesting, more enticing match to watch. Um, but again, you know, that's just my overall thoughts on that regard, on that matter. Uh, and honestly, I do want to mention that when you hear Zverev talk about this, it gives you hope. And more importantly, it shows you just how much valor Carlos Alcaraz has, right? Like, people are often quick to say, oh, he can't play a five-set match because he's, like, 18 or 19 years old. I kind of have to disagree on that. Like, these, like, matches, I mean, the the, the Nadal match lasted for, like, two and a half hours. The Djokovic match lasted for three hours. This match lasted for, like, an hour and two. He played a span of, like, a good six hours. Like, a span of, like, a good six and a half, seven hours in the span of, like, three days. Which... That's crazy to see. And the fact that he's still able to win and still able to dominate Zero after playing five hours in the span of two days, 48 hours, that's crazy. I mean, that's crazy talk. Uh, so you have to give Carlos Alcraz his credit for doing this because, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to see the amount of energy he has, the amount of, uh, obviously I've said this before, but potential he has as well. And the fact that he's able to, able to manhandle Zero on all facets of the court, on all on all areas of the court, is something that should not be unnoticed and should not be uh, sort of squashed. That was a very very entertaining match between the two, but more so say more so for say uh, Alcross than say uh, uh, Zverev. So yeah, overall I get where Zverev is coming from. I really do. Uh, I I mean obviously it, who does who wants to lose like that you know in, in that kind of fashion, but. Again, I understand where Zverev is coming from. You know, I think when you look at that match, he was definitely gassed. There were times where he wasn't really giving it his all, and, and maybe that's because of the fact that he was just so tired. Um, but you know, when you see the match in a double in like two consecutive double faults, yeah, it, it kind of proves his case that maybe they should kind of refocus on the scheduling. But also it gives you, and I feel like Zverev should not be really giving that many excuses because, again, it's been a running theme that his second serves have not been that great in in these matches. So, I mean, overall, I get where he's coming from. I really do. But I feel like the messenger could be a little bit better, right? Like, I get where he's coming from, and I, I do agree with him. I just feel like the messenger could have been better. If it was Sitspas or if it was Medvedev, by all means, talk about it. I get it. Uh, with Zverev, it's like right now you should be focusing on on getting better at tennis, not focusing on the things you can't control. Focus on tennis. Focus on things you can't control, right? Like there was this quote that you know I would always hear in high school, and you know, I used to laugh at it, but now I sort of like understand what they're where they're coming from. Control the controllables, right? You can't control things that are outside of your control. All I can really focus on is things that you have power on and, and, you know, where you have the most say in. And, and for Zverev, and serves are very, very important. I mean, the ball toss is very, very important. I mean, serves are the only thing you can really control in tennis. I mean, if you really think about it, getting the point in or getting the serve in is the only thing you can really control on. Control on. That's, the mo- that's the most important thing that you have any say on or say in. So to see him not really focus on that or pay attention to that and, and to lose to Alcross because of the fact that he wasn't able to control his serves, that gives you the inclination that he must focus on that. Otherwise, you're going to see results like this in the future. And I, I don't think if you're a fan of Zverev, which whatever, but if you're a fan of Zverev, I feel like that's something that you should sort of 
address. You know, you should address the elephant in the room while you, while there's still an elephant in the room. So uh, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on the Sasha Zverev match, Alcaraz match, and my overall thoughts and opinions on Zverev's comments on Alcaraz in terms of his complaining about the lack of rest that occurred. So yeah, overall, that's what it is. That's what it boils down to with the Sasha Zverev post-match comments on the lack of time off between matches. Uh, so again, that's that's the tennis news for, news for today. Obviously, congrats to the WTA uh, side of it. Things Jabour, thank uh, congrats to her for winning the WTA final at the Major Open. I mean, that thing is there's a lot of parody within that uh, within that sort of division of players. I mean, I feel like at any moment, like any player could win. Like, I feel like Camilla Georgie could win a WTA final at this point. Like, I really do. Like, I think anybody could win in that in that WTA. I really do. Because, again, you, you see Serena, you know, focusing more on the Hollywood stuff and, you know, f- focusing out of tennis. One foot in, one foot out of tennis. You think of, uh, you know, Naomi Osaka and her, like, struggles. Uh, Bianca Andreescu and her injuries. Anything can happen in the WTA side of things, and I just like I just like it. It's like the wild, wild west, right? Like I feel, I feel like I'm I, I feel like anything can happen at the WTA side, and I think that's just a great thing to see. Uh, so congrats to Jabour for for winning the Madrid Open. All right, let's get into news outside of the tennis world, shall we? So this next topic, I feel like it's very insular. I mentioned this in like the sort of rundown for my topics for today. But I feel like this is very insular to the comedy community. So if you don't really know this, I don't, I don't really hate on you for not knowing this. I get it. You know, it's very sort of insular. It's very sort of niche, if you will. But if you know podcasting, you probably heard of these podcasters. So Bobby Lee went on the H3 podcast and basically discussed his beef with Brendan Schaub uh, on that. So I'll give you the rundown because it's a very sort of long list of things that happened and transpired before what happened on Friday with the podcast between Ethan Klein and and Bobby Lee. So I'll do my best to sort of summarize it to the best of my ability, and then we'll sort of go on our way out with that. So so what happened was there's this podcast called Trash Tuesday, hosted by Esther Pogritsky, hosted by uh, Annie Letterman, Kalila, two comedians and Kalila, which is like the co-host of Tiger Belly. Tiger Belly is Bobby Lee's podcast. So three people, if you're... If you're a chick, you'll probably be into it. Um, I listen to it. Depending on the guest, it's good. Uh, if there's no guest that I like, then I try not to listen to it. Uh, not because I don't like them. It's just because, you know, there's so many podcasts. There's just so much content out there that it's hard for me to really fixate and focus on just that. So depending on the guest, I'll watch it. But overall, if you're into that, you'll be into it. So Trash Tuesday, they had a podcast. And basically, they talked about... Br- a certain comedian that was hitting on them uh, and hitting on their co-worker as well, any letterman. So, and they basically hinted that it was the initials BS and it didn't take quite long for people to realize that they were talking about Brendan Shaw. And they addressed, they addressed it on the podcast that this person was trying to walk them to their trug and, you know, doing these sort of flirtatious things with them, even though they were with their significant others and they, even though they declined him and whatnot so that's what happens. They discussed it. It was like in jest. It was all pure, pure fun. It was not meant to like take take him down or whatnot. It was just a pure, a pure fun, you know, comedic story that they put out there. Uh, Brendan Shaw hears about this uh, and message, messages them that he might sue them because of it for defamation or for whatnot. But Brendan Shaw basically hears about this and threatens to sue him because of this. And if you know Brendan Schaub, and I've discussed Brendan Schaub on this podcast before, this isn't the first time that he's threatened to sue somebody. Um, he's, I think he's threatened to sue uh, like a small YouTube channel called Unique. I discussed that on my on my podcast channel, so go, be on the lookout for that. It's called Brendan Schaub Sues YouTuber. But Brendan Schaub hears about this and messages them that he might sue them because of this. And then it all co- basically culminates into Brendan Schaub appearing on the Andrew Schultz podcast, Flagrant 2, where Andrew Schultz masterfully brings it up to Brendan Schaub saying, hey, did you tell Annie Letterman to walk her to her, your trug? And basically, Brendan Schaub basically just combusted right then and there. Like, he 
was stuttering. He was basically saying a lot of vowels. Like at one point, he was like "eo eo." Like it was, it was kind of sad. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna lie. Like it was kind of sad to see it, see him in that state. But Brennan Shaw talks about it. He's like, "Hey, Bobby Lee's my best friend." There's a narrative out there that's outside of what is truly out, what is true, and we're all on good terms. Nothing's gonna happen out of it. You know, it was just all in good fun. No one's throwing it to anybody. We talked about it. I ta- he, he said in his words that he talked to Kalila. And that's, I thought that's where the kibosh would end. That's where it would be left. And then it basically leads into the H3 podcast where Bobby Lee, Bobby Lee goes on with Kalila and talks about a teeth incline. He states that Brendan Schaub talked to him and said that he was the guy behind an obscure Reddit board where basically it's just a bunch of people just talking crap about Brendan Schaub. And he, Bobby Lee states that Brendan Schaub is basically threatening threatening him to to blackmail him from the comedy community. And he talked to Whitney, talked to Joe Rogan, Whitney Cummings, the person from Good For You, and Joe Rogan, obviously you know Joe Rogan. And... Brendan Shaw basically threatened Bobby Lee to be blackmailed uh, because of this, because he believes that he's the mastermind behind the, this Reddit board and behind uh, Brendan Shaw's smear campaign, if you will. And he's Bobby Lee was very confessional, and I felt very, very bad for Bobby Lee during this entire podcast. And that's where, where it all ends. That's where it comes down to now is that Bobby being on the HD podcast, talking about things that are happening in the LA comedy scene. And overall, hopefully I did a good job in terms of breaking it down because I know there's a lot of parts to it. And I feel like a lot of comedians are sort of talking about it, but not really doing their best job in terms of really doing, really giving like an honest and fair assessment as to what's happening. Tim Dillon. Uh, I like Tim Dillon, but I feel like his overall address on this was kind of sad to see. I don't know if he watched the Tim Dillon podcast last Saturday or whatnot, but to hear him like not really discuss it, I, I feel like it's, I, it kind of felt sad to see. It, it really did, and I, I like Tim Dillon. I really do. Like when you hear him like go after the you know pedophilia elite, when you hear him go after Hollywood elite, like okay, maybe he's going to give that same energy to Brendan Shaw. Uh, that wasn't the case whatsoever. Um, and I get it. You know, he has to be on the good toes of somebody. You know, he has to be on. He has to be on in their side and in their favor. And you know, he has to focus on, you know, getting future spots and future roles on a podcast. I get it. But overall, to see his lack of care or his lack of of, of an opinion on this, I think it really goes to show you that people in the comedy community really don't really want to divulge into it. And I get it, but still, I, I think it's kind of sad to see that. Uh, anyways, back into this discussion, though. Uh, Brendan Shaw basically is starting to blackmail Bobby Lee. And I feel like if you're in the comedy community, this has to stop. I mean, Ethan Klein mentions this on his podcast, but there is a boys club. I mean, there really is a boys club. And when you think of Bob, like Brendan Shaw, like trying to blackmail and sue people, it's like at the end of the day, like as a as a comedian, you shouldn't take yourself so seriously. Like understand that this is all in good fun, all in good jest. Like these, the Trash Tuesday girls, they didn't accuse, they didn't me to you. Like again, like again, like this is kind of a creepy thing to do. Like to ask like married women to walk you to your truck. That's kind of creepy, but it's not like a me too accusation. It's not like like you're going to lose roles after this. So I feel like if I'm Brendan Schaub, I would just let this go. Just let this go. Like if you're a comedian, understand that you can't take yourself so seriously. Like this is not a healthy way of viewing things. You can't just threaten people lawsuits just because they say something that you may not agree with or say something that may come at the expense of your own feelings. Like you have to, you know, roll with the punches, go with the flow. And and I, I want to say this is all legend, you know, with the... Brendan Schaub, you know, telling, you know, these women to walk them into their trucks. I don't know if this is true or not. This is all alleged. I'm purely saying this because I don't want to get sued. I mean, if you sue me, Brendan, I only have like a nickel and dime to my name. So like, I don't like, there's not much to sue for me. Like, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but again, I feel like if you're Brendan Schaub, you just got to take it in stride, you know, roll with the punches. You know, I feel like as a comedian, like I say this as a comedian, like if people make fun of me, like that's completely fine. Like at the end of the day, if I'm able to make fun of other people, then other people should make fun of me. Like that's, that's 
the beauty of this environment is being able to make jokes at one another and make jokes at yourself. That's what makes, that's what normalizes us. You know, what normalizes us is being able to roll with the punches, take it in stride and, and to, and as a result, you know, we become more friendly with each other. I know that if somebody makes fun of me, then that just means that that person wants to, um, obviously there are some people that just make fun of you for the point of making fun of you, but there are times where like that could spark a friendship that could spark something out of it. And, and I think when you see somebody that's able to roll with the punches, you just have that much more respect for that individual. And I feel like if you're a comedian, you should not be taking yourself so seriously. And when you, know, when you think of Brendan Schaub, I feel like his career right now, and I say this with like a lot of love and respect for any comedian, you know, because I, I, I want to see comedians do well. Like I like comedy. I'm a comedian myself. Like I'm not the guy, kind of guy that like wants to like hate on comedians for the sake of hating on comedians. I feel like right now, Brendan Shaw, and I mentioned this previously, but I feel like Brendan Shaw right now has to focus on the funny, focus on writing better material, focus on writing better jokes because Gringo Poppy it could be better, right? Like, uh, you know, like Gringo Poppy could have been better. You know, like, again, understand that right now your focus should be on writing better jokes, writing better material, making making your podcast as fun and enjoyable as possible. And, and stop being on your high horse. Like, stop being this, like, individual that, you know, can't take a joke or it can't really hear people with a difference of opinion than you or hearing people that may say... Things that are different than what you're accustomed to be hearing from your own circle, right? So I I, I think that's what Brendan Shop should just do right now. Focus on the funny. If people want to talk about you, they'll talk about you, and and that that's what you have to understand. Like if you put your personal life out there, if you're a comedian, if you're a person that values the public spotlight, understand that people will be talking about you, and people and people will be ripping on you, and that's completely fine. That's what makes every comedian a comedian. You know, if you're a comedian that is doing okay, then you're going to have people that will talk about you and will critique you. So again, like if I'm Brendan Schaub, put this to rest. Stop having this beef with Bobby Lee because it will lead to a trickle-down effect where now other comedians will not trust you. So, I mean, again, it's, it's just sad to see this. It really is. This should not be happening at all, especially to a person like Bobby Lee who's been through the thick of it all. I mean, like... If you think of Bobby Lee, I mean, he's been a comedy store regular for like a good two, three decades now. I mean, he's seen everything. He had to deal with the Mencia beef. He had to deal with, you know, the changing of the guard at the comedy store with the Rogan crew and whatnot. I mean, he's been through it all. Like this, this old Asian man has been through it all. And, and to see this pile on and to see the lack of care for Bobby Lee in the comedy community, it's kind of sad to see. Like this is supposed to be like, one of the few times where comedians should like step up for for a, another comedian, like to see one a, one comedian threaten to sue and blackmail another comedian just because that comedian can't take jokes or can't take crit- criticism. I mean, this is one of the few times where like people within the comedy community, especially within the LA comedy scene, should really st- stand behind Bobby Lee because Bobby Lee has done a lot for the LA comedy scene. You know, so again i think it's kind of sad to see the lack of people that are really taking bobby lee's side it's kind of sad to see uh how this has played out and honestly i'm i'm not surprised by it but because it is the la it's the la comedy scene like are we really surprised to see people not really stand up for comedy at the la comedy scene i mean let's be honest like they're all focused on being famous they care more about being famous than being funny at the la comedy scene i mean that's just the sad part of life and don't get me wrong, like, there's nothing wrong with attaining fame. That's why we all do comedy. Like, again, like, you do comedy because you want to get people talking about you. You want people to, you know, talk about your comedy and whatnot. But to see people resort to this, it's kind of sad. It's been quite some time. And to see, and maybe they are internally doing it, but still, I feel like coming out and, and like, being in support of a set comedian in this sort of battle is very, very important, very, very admirable. And it says the president where people just value comedy and people just value jokes. And I feel like Brennan Schaub right now needs to focus on just being funnier. That's what he should be focusing on. Not, you know, suing people, not trying to blackmail people, just focus on being funny. That's what every comedian's job and not just Brennan Schaub. I I don't want to single him out. I feel like every comedian should just focus on being funny. 
And I feel like a lot of these problems will go away if they were just able to create a tight five or a, a tight hour focusing on great punchlines, tags, and that ilk. And hopefully this is the end of it, but I don't think this is the end of this discussion for the Brendan Shaw, Bobby Lee thing. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen between these two uh, on podcasts and outside of that as well. So that's where I'll sort of leave it off with that. I know I, I sort of went a little bit, you know, into it. You know, I, I was into it ad nauseum. So my apologies. But, you know, when I get into a topic, I get into a topic. And if you don't know any of these people, I'm very sorry for, for wasting your time. You know, I know that your time is very valuable and precious. But I feel like it's very important to at least discuss this because this could happen in any other field, right? Like to blackmail somebody to say that you can't have a career just because you didn't give them your wife or your significant other or listen to them for, for being a, a douche. I mean, it's, it's quite sad, honestly. It really is. So let's get into our next discussion here. Uh, Pete Davidson addresses Kanye West in a stand-up set. And uh, if you guys don't know, Pete Davidson, you know, dating Kim K, Kim K, former ex-wife of Kanye, uh, he talks about Kanye in his Netflix as a joke a uh, stand-up set he performed at their festival, which happens in California, LA. Uh, and he did some material on, on Kanye West. So he basically stated, uh, I had a scare. I had a AIDS scare the other day. Um, I don't know if he ever got an AIDS scare by Kanye, but that's not well. I mean, he's the, I mean, I'm not, I'm butchering his joke, but he does an okay job at doing it. I mean, obviously people don't like Pete Davidson, but personally for me, I thought this set was kind of funny. Uh, he did impressions of Melania, Kanye Burr. I mean, certain impressions were better than others, but overall, I thought it was quite enjoyable. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I thought he did what Chris Rock should have done, right? Like he sh he did what Chris Rock should have done, which is address it, talk about it, and that's what a comedian should do. You know, address things that are happening in their personal life, but do so in a comedic way. Uh, wink, wink to Brendan Chop. So again, like that's what Pete Davidson did. And he did it to a varying success. I mean, obviously, some jokes are better than others. But overall, he did decent. He had a decent set. And he did a lot of name dropping, you know. And, and again, like if I, hear, if I see a comedian name drop a lot in their set, it's like, okay, what are you? Like Tom Cruise here? Like, what are you? Like an A-lister? Uh, but with Pete Davidson, I feel like he's such, he's on the precipice of being like an A-list Hollywood celeb where it's like, okay, I get it. I get why you're name dropping i get why when you surround yourself with only other celebrities you're bound to like talk about them so i get why he's doing it uh and again as i mentioned before with this discussion on pete davidson this is what chris rock should have been doing which is talking about the uh, will smith situation and doing so in a way that's funny and i feel like chris rock he's a very funny individual i mean obviously bigger and blacker bring the pain those are two iconic specials that have stood the test of time i feel like Chris Rock should be doing this because this is a moment that should not go to waste. You know, if I'm Chris Rock, I'm doing like a good 15, 20 minutes, putting it on my Instagram. And even if I'm not going to put in my special, I'm still going to view that opportunity as a way to advertise for my next special, right? Like talk about the Will Smith situation, talk about it for like 10, 15 minutes, do some of the best jokes you've ever done, get people back on your side if they aren't already, and then use that 10 to 15 minutes of jokes as an advertisement for your next special. And I feel like that's what Netflix is doing with Pete Davidson. And I feel like this is a great opportunity for Chris Rock to, you know, rip a page out of Pete Davidson's book and, and to do that as well. So, again, Chris Rock should be talking about this. Like, he should. I mean, that's what that's what, that's what should matter. Uh, now, again, I get it. You know, if you're a fan of comedy or if you're a fan of, like, very, very sort of blue, black comedy, I would say, uh, you probably don't like Pete Davidson. I get why. I understand where you're coming from. If you're like an older individual, you definitely hate Pete Davidson, which I can understand the resentment for Pete Davidson. Uh, personally, for me, I think he's an okay comic. I think he's a good comedian, a, a person that has had some jokes that I really enjoy. Uh, his SMD special was pretty good. I mean, he released it as a 22-year-old. I'm 23. If I released an, an hour special now, it would be horrible. Uh, so the fact that he released a 22 uh, at a tw as a 22-year-old an hour special you got to give him his credit. I mean, it's pretty good for a 22-year-old kid. And some jokes that he had in that special are really good. Uh, I remember early on in his stand-up career, he's like, 
he starts off he started off his set by saying i'm into cougars i think 24 year olds are so hot that was his opening line and it crushed it killed i saw him like do it at like broadway comedy club or something like that uh on youtube i would say uh not in person on youtube and it crushed in the room and it really is a good joke for like a 16 17 year old kid it really did well uh, so again, I understand why pe- people hate Pete Davidson. You know, he has a Hillary Clinton tattoo. I don't know if he got a, uh, gotten removed. Um, I don't know why he would have a war criminal on his body, but whatever. Uh, he also like tattooed his his Kanye's kids' names onto his like neck, which that's kind of weird to do. He also branded Kim Kardashian's name onto his chest, which I mean, we're talking about a mentally ill individual, but still. Why would he do that? I, it's kind of sad. But anyways, I do think Pete Davidson has moments where he is funny. Like, And I feel like people just incessantly hate on him. And I get it. I understand why. But I feel like there are times where he has shown to himself to be quite funny. Uh, I mean, I feel like that roast of Justin Bieber where he's like, my dad died in 9-11. And I thought that was the worst thing uh, that, have, that has ever happened to me. Until I met your dad, Justin. Now I'm glad mine's dead. I'm like, that line was dark. I mean, that was a very, very dark line. Uh, (laughs) It was like, I remember like he was talking about Soul Plane to like Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart because they both started it. And he was like, Soul Plane was the worst thing to happen to to my life involving a plane. I'm like, wow. Like that was like out of left field. Uh, (laughs) It's like... But anyways, like Pete Davidson, he has moments where he is funny. Like you got to give him credit. Like, and again, I get it. You know, Pete Davidson, I don't know who wrote those jokes. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was his ghostwriter. You know, I know he has like Dave Stars behind him. So maybe it was his ghostwriter. Who knows? Uh, maybe it was him. But overall, I thought it was a funny joke. And I think this next special by Pete Davidson, if he gets into all of his, event- all of his relationships and whatnot, I think that would be like a haven for like page six, for people, for Barstool Sports, because I've been on Barstool Sports recently and all they talk about is Pete Davidson. So I feel like this is like a wet dream for page six, for TMZ, for Barstool Sports. If he has an hour special just devoted to each and every relationship, each and every relationship he's had since Ariana. If he just talks about relationships for like for an hour long and he talks about like his beef with Kanye. Oh my God, like you're going to see so many wet dreams by like Barstool writers and by like page six writers. It would be nauseating to like go on their sites now. I mean, I only go on like Barstool Sports. I don't go on page six. Why would I go on page six? And that's for like wine moms and for like suburban moms, for like housewives, not for me. I go on like more masculine sites, you know, Twitter, the most masculine site out there. Uh, So yeah, that's just... Overall, what happened with Pete Davidson and the Kanye West stand-up set, uh, <laughs> his John Mulaney impression is a little weird, but uh, it's on the nose. I'll say that. It's on the nose. All right. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here. Uh, my wiki pick. So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoyed. Sometimes a special, sometimes a podcast montage, if you will, uh, that I really enjoyed. This week, I'll be recommending the four-part podcast series the president's podcast with louis ck so if you don't, don't know man shane secret podcast you probably should know if you're a fan of my podcast you should be watching man shane secret podcast but man shane had louis ck on to talk about the u.s presidents and it was scintillating it was must watch it was great they basically broke down each and every president of the united states fun fact here i can name each and every president from like number one to number 44 we don't count number 45 donald trump's still a president in my eyes kidding uh but they talked about the presidents and it was like well over like five hours six hours if if you will all four episodes last for like over six hours long and this is like the most i've heard louis c louis ck talk in quite some time like it, it was and it was when i say must watch must watch like i think the best episodes i think are either like uh parts three and four i think like parts three and four like he talks about richard nixon and talks about like how he was so infatuated with Richard Nixon, he had, how he had dreams of Richard Nixon, and how in his dreams Richard Nixon would give him a hug. And this was like during the height of Watergate, so everybody hated Richard Nixon, but he loved him because he was like one of the few people that like really cared about him when he immigrated to the country. And that was like very like eye-dropping or eye-opening to see that and to hear about that. 
And honestly, I feel like Louis C.K. at the tail end, he really did a good job in terms of relating his own experiences with that of, say, the Bush years, with the Obama years, and with that of the Trump years. And honestly, like, all four episodes are great. I really enjoyed the first four. I, I, really, I really enjoyed all of them because I, I love U.S. history. But those those last two, especially that last one, was probably my favorite one. And it really gives you into the inside of Louis C.K., how he grew up. And I loved how, even though this was like a talk about U.S. history and, and talk about, you know, about all the presidents and whatnot, it was never at times hearing like a documentary about it. It was, it was never like, all right, so this president did that. It's like, no, this president did this, and this is how I feel about it, and this is how this affected me in some way, shape, or form. So I really, really enjoyed this series. It, there were times where it's funny. There were times where it was informative. And this is what I feel like a George Burns documentary should be, you know, just just fun, just fun, not something that has to be boring. You know, I like George Burns. I, I like, uh, you know, Ken Burns, sorry, not George Burns, Ken Burns. I like his documentaries, but times, but there are times where I watch it. I'm like, okay, this is a little, this is a little too boring for me. Like there's too many Ken Burns effects where it's just like slowly like close, like a, a slow close in to like a, like a picture or to like some interview it's just too much for me. This is where I like it. I like the President's Podcast with Louis C.K. This is a great podcast. Shane Gillis did a great job in terms of really talking to Louis C.K. I like how in the middle of the ad reads, Louis C.K. was just like not into it whatsoever. Like apparently like it was supposed to be on Patreon, especially like the last three podcast episodes. But Louis was like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Put it online. Put it for free. And, and that was like... That was a really good thought on uh, on Louis to do. So yeah, overall, really enjoyed this podcast montage uh, episodes. And go check it out if you haven't already. It's all free on YouTube. Link is in the description box below. So I think that's it for me on uh, for the podcast, guys. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you uh, follow me on both my podcast channel or subscribe to me on both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at OJTucker underscore at the end, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end for both my Instagram and my Twitter. Uh, make sure you rate and review on iTunes and Spotify. I know there's a new review feature on Spotify, so if you're able to review on it, by all means do it. And leave a comment down below on any, on any of these topics, whether it's on uh, Pete Davidson's stand-up set, whether it's on the My Weekly Pick, whether it's on Brendan Schaub uh, and his threatening, him threatening to blackmail Bobby Lee, uh, Zurab complaining about the lack of rest, or even that of the Major Jump of the Final. Any of these uh, questions, comments, or concerns, leave them down below. I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. But until then, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk about the Rome Open, the Italian Open, as well as things that are happening outside of that tennis world as well, in terms of a political and societal realm uh, as well. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.